and welcome to Should I Get Bangs. I am your host, Julia Rossi, and today's guest is New York Times bestselling author and just fantastic human being, Paul Greenberg. Um, he's been a TED speaker. He's been on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. And on this episode, we really dig into his new book, Goodbye Phone, Hello World. Uh, I think it's such an important topic that he writes about, which is uh, smartphone addiction. And if you've listened to the pod before, you know that it's also one of my favorite topics. And I just, I love this conversation that we have. I know I say that about every episode, but this one is just so soothing and practical and it really offers some fantastic uh, scientific insight, spiritual insight into what screens are doing to our brains. So I hope that you, um, you know, benefit from this chat. It was so great because you reached out to me. Well, you had reached out to me like I think a, a couple of years ago, a year or two ago about your son wanting to yes. see comedy. And then you reached out to me earlier this year to send me this wonderful book called Goodbye Phone, Hello World. And I can't even tell you how much I needed it. <laughs> Truly, like it, I, I I don't know if I told you this when I, when I reached out to you about doing the podcast, but because I, so I had a baby, uh, in July of, of 2020. And, um, thank you. I'm like, what year are we in now? I can't, <laughs> nothing makes sense. And I have like a pile of magazines and books next to my sofa that I'm supposedly gonna read while I'm raising a child in this first year. And, uh, but it was interesting because I was in the middle of, I go through a lot of, um, I hate my phone. I hate technology. I wouldn't say full on breakdowns, but like definitely, anger uh because i lived i i know what life was like before it and it was really funny because i was feeling this way and then your book literally fell off the table with it was the only book that <laughs> fell and i was like oh okay and then it was the quickest read and i was so grateful so that being said you basically i know you've done a lot of stuff you've you've written a lot of stuff about the fishing industry ecology, right e and ecology of the ocean and, and environmental stuff in general that's my beat yes and and then so how did writing about phone addiction and and basically phone what would you call it mind control honestly how how did that like i know it had, it had a lot to do with your son yeah. so i'd love to hear how that all started well you know so I did a huge amount of um, reporting in the field about climate, about fisheries, da, da, da. So it was away from home quite a bit. So I traveled a bit. I went to Antarctica, you know, I went to the Arctic. I've been all over the world. And so meanwhile, I had, my son was born, um, as I say in the book, my son was born in 2006 and the iPhone was born in 2007. And, um, oh. and they've been, and, and it's in, in the book, they've been competing for my attention ever since. Um, so, oh. you know, two things were happening kind of on parallel. One was that I was missing my son a lot, coming home, seeing him, and then finding myself not paying attention to him, but paying attention to my phone. Um, mm -hmm. the other thing, which was just off to the side is that, you know, as I've been through the last 10, 15 years of reporting, with natural scientists in the field, you know, I want to talk about the nature around us and so forth. But more and more, these scientists who are like observing the wonders of nature keep turning to their phone while they're talking to me. They're like, well, the thing I want to tell you about Gentoo penguins is, and then like, hold on a second, I got a, something that's going on. So, anyway, what was I talking about? Oh. Was it Emperor Bank? No, Gentoo Penguins. Oh, well, bleh. so these people who should be really paying attention to the life in front of them are looking at their phones. Okay, so that's one thing thing that got me thinking about writing goodbye phone hello world is that um i realized that w when i was home with my son i was more apt to pay attention to my phone than my own child and it really started to come into focus as my son turned 12 and you know you're obviously very at the very beginning of this journey and you know as they say the days seem long the years are short and before you know it you're going to find that you have a young adolescent on your hands and mm -hmm. you know right now when you have this child that's so a part of you and so close to you and so in touch with you and you can't ever imagine a distance opening up between you and your child but now that my son was 12 you could feel it you know you could feel this emergent teenager and we all remember our teenager teenage years and i suddenly realized oh my god my time with my son is really really limited so he happened to be 12 years old, and then I started counting up how many 
minutes, hours, days I had wasted on my phone. And it turned out that in the course of an average year, we spend about 1,400 hours a year on our phones. Makes that takes my yes, yes, it, it, it's 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 disgusting, and it's actually about a, a waking month or more than a waking month per year. And then because my son was 12, you know, 12 months in a year, 12 years in the life of my son, I realized I had spent a waking year on my phone away from my son. So, (laughs) and I don't even think that I'm the worst of it. Like I'm actually a pretty conscientious person, you know? Um, But when it all added up, I realized that, you know, I think we're accustomed to thinking the phone as all this great free stuff on it. Right. Oh, I get this, this, you know, who nobody charges for an app. It's free. But then you realize that the currency you're paying in is your time and it's time that you never, ever Mm -hmm. get back. And it's only really in, in proximity, in proximity to your children who are literally changing into other people before your eyes that you realize that you're never going to get that time back. Well, it's, you know, you said I, my child is young right now, but what, what I've really hated and I'm maybe there's a workaround, but you know, because of the current situation in the world, we FaceTime with her yep. grandparents yep. every day. My my parents and my husband's parents, and then occasionally friends and whatever. So at this point in her little brain, she thinks that grandparents are iPads and phones, right? They're little yeah. machines. And I hate that she looks at the screen, but I don't really know what the alternative is. And I'm grateful for the phone in that moment. But then what I hate with it is that, you know, my camera is my mm-hmm. phone. So I'll, I'll t- I take a lot of pictures of her and then, you know, I delete, I, I take up 10 of the same pose and then I go delete the ones and then I, you know, crop it and then I send it to friend. And then in it, it is in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, I'm not wasting my time on social media. I'm not like, you know, mindlessly scrolling. So I have that, con- that consciousness yeah. there. So I sort of pat myself yeah. on the back. But then after reading your book, I'm like, yeah, but I still have this machine in my hand and my baby That's in right. my other hand. And I'm I'm doing the best I can. But like sometimes I have her in my hand and then my other hand is Googling like, is this color poop normal? What? How many times should a baby nap? And it's like, or I could just go with my That's intuition. Right. Well, I mean, you bring up an interesting point when you talk about the, pho- the camera being in your phone. Um, what I've been practicing since I quit my phone, and I did quit my phone in 2018 and switched to a flip phone, um, I is it. I practice what I call unbundling. You know, they're, you know, what the phone would like you to do and what tech would like you to do is they like it when you go seamlessly from your phone to Instagram to Google and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because that more time you're in front of the screen, the more money that you're making. And while it is awkward to unbundle your camera from your phone, like getting a camera, you know, for example, mm. or getting an alarm clock, for example. Um, these seem clunky things, um, but it's actually, I think right now is a good time to practice unbundling because, you know, I don't know how much you, you spend on time you spend on the road, but when I'm traveling, especially as a journalist, I'm like, oh, the phone is everything. It's my recorder. It's my camera. It's my alarm clock. It's everything I need. Well, I've rehabituated myself to not do that. And I would say that it's opened up, you know, it's making me a little less efficient, but I feel that what I lose in efficiency, I gain in focus. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've glanced around. I did a couple of excerpts for Medium. One of the things I did was I actually did a kind of mm-hmm. tail of the tape and, and, and you know, measured my productivity, my earnings, my physical health. And all across the board, my numbers were up. You know, I made more money. Uh, I wrote significantly more prose um, and um, dropped my blood pressure and dropped weight at the same time and did more exercise. Really? Since you switched to a flip phone? Yeah. And I mean, there are other, you know, there's other confounding factors. I'm a man of science, so I can't uh, dismiss those. I did. I've also been experimenting with veganism, like many people out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, 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 you know, yeah. but again, focusing on my health versus scrolling up to see what would work and what wouldn't, but really focusing on, things like meditation, things like eating well, exercising every day. You know, just think about like how many times you mean to exercise, right? And you're about to go out the door and then your phone goes, and you're like, oh no, I'm going to check this. I'm going to check that. Before you do it, 15, 20 minutes. And I wouldn't say probably most of us do eventually make it out the door to exercise, but I would bet you one time in seven, you don't end up exercising because of that tether, right? 
And then once yeah. you've done that, you know, that starts to, um, you know, all the science says that 40 minutes of exercise a day is really, you know, we need to do that. And if one seventh of the time the phone keeps you from that, surely that's having an effect upon your health overall. Yeah. I mean, I, so some changes that I made, this was actually before I even yeah. read the book, um, about five years ago, and I have promoted this to every single person who will listen, I think it was about five years ago, I started um, first hour that yeah. I'm awake, no screens. Excellent. And and it's great because I, I mean, obviously, if there if there was like, you know, a bunch of missed texts from my mom or something, I would check it, you know, anything that's, but, but no internet for sure. And, you know, I might check the weather. That's about it. Um, but I, you know, I meditate. I take my time making my coffee. Now that I have a child, I, I take time with her in the morning. And that hour a day, I've been doing this again for like about five years. I know it's had an impact totally. uh, because once, once I start, because once I start clicking on the phone, I know it might get out of hand. So at least I know I always have that hour. Um, and then I try to do a half hour at night, but definitely the first hour in the morning has been great. And then I've been starting when I go for walks now, because that's mostly what I've been doing during this pandemic is going for long walks with my husband and child. I used to have to look at the phone a lot to see time because I wanted to see how long we were walking. Started wearing a watch. <laughs> what a concept. Oh my God. <laughs> Started wearing a watch, and I also stopped looking at how many steps. Who I did. cares? Who gives a shit? I I went for an hour and a half long walk. I don't care how many times I stepped. So the watch that has been a great thing. I've been trying to uh, handwrite notes more rather than relying on my notebook and my phone. So I've been making all these small, and I have no social media apps on my phone. I got rid of those. I don't I don't remember when. And so I have in order to check social yeah, social media. I either have to go through my browser, go on my laptop, or download it to, to, you know, post, and then I leave. And so I'm like baby stepping. I have been toying with the flip phone idea. I wouldn't be surprised if I end up doing it at some point. But, you know, I'm like, but what about my podcasts that I want to listen to, such as this one, and, uh, you know, my maps and, and all well, that, that you stuff. know, maps are so, an interesting thing, right? Because, um, you know, yeah. I travel quite a bit. Um, even during the pandemic, I actually did um, several travel stories, believe it or not, um, uh, wow. you know, about pandemic traveling. And, um, you know, I found myself in places where I didn't have maps, right? And so I actually, you know, I probably got I got lost, you know, but remember getting lost? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and do you remember also the feeling of getting someplace on your own and the little pat on your back? Oh, I made it there. Um, I kind of think that life was full of little moments of victory that the phone robs you of. And um, in this weird kind of, I mean, let's face it, we evolved as hunter gatherers on the savannas of Africa and um, the little victories kept us going. You know, it's like, oh, some sagegrass yeah. that I can brew for tea. Good. Um, and we get so few of those moments in modern life, and the phone has taken them away even more. And, you know, we, we might find yeah. a Pokemon Go somewhere, you know, and maybe that gives us a little thrill. But I don't think it's as thrilling as actually finding yourself in, in the right way in a physical space. One question I want to ask you is, so so, yeah, Michael, so you're a comedian, and you have to work out r routine. I am. So... Like, when is yeah. the most creative part of your day as far as, or, or does it, like, I mean, comedy, we do different kinds of writing. Like, mine's more sort of, like, you know, mm -hmm. laying out an argument over time, whereas I know comedy is just very much reacting to things in the moment. So how much, and, and then sort of taking ongoing notes of your life. So how much is the phone important to that process? And, and, and or is there another way around it? Well, it's, it, you know, I think I'd have two different answers for that question because I haven't live performed since March 11th of oh, 2020 geez. because yeah, of yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. So I don't even know if I'm a stand-up comic you're, you're a stand -up <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Who am I? Uh, and, you know, any, I've done these like Zoom shows, but I just. I just talk out my yeah, ass yeah. on them because I, I don't even who's three people are watching. Yeah. I mean, whatever. I will do them if anyone wants to book me. But I, um, you know, with what, what has happened for me, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. So my favorite app, which isn't 
true for a lot of people. I really like Twitter. You're very good at it. Because my... I really like it. Oh, thank you. Um, Thanks. So I, I... With my comedy, uh, I I tend to be like kind of storytelling, very conversational. I like that style. And I, when Twitter came around, it it taught me to be better at like short jokes because I don't. That's not really. I never thought that was my strength was like one liners or 140 <laughs> character liners or whatever. So Twitter, especially during the pandemic, I've has been really fun because it it. I guess it. It fulfills that instant gratification that stand-up gives me. Because that's part of why I think I like stand-up is I like the quick – it's like thought, microphone, audience reaction, go home. I also do and used to do a lot more long-form writing, um, be it scripts. um, But I used to do a lot more essays and whatnot. And I've recently started getting back into that. Like I'm working on a book proposal and I just had – a very short, silly humor thing uh, for shouts and murmurs online. And yeah, thanks. So like I, but between standup, having this instant gratification portion to it, plus the internet, I definitely a hundred percent can admit that my phone has been a hindrance because it's made me and I've mentioned this on the podcast, I think before, like it tricks me into thinking I'm being productive because I got a bunch of retweets okay. and likes. And the mind fuck of that, however, is that I have different people, like different showrunners and producers and whatnot have followed me. And I've reached out to them and been like, hey, if you're ever, you know, like I've, I've created connections through these silly tweets. So I don't want to completely let go of it. But I definitely am in a headspace recently. And I think the pandemic has made me look inward even more of like, all right, Julia, that's great that you're quote unquote, doing well on Twitter, whatever that means. I'm air quoting. You can't see me, but I'm air quoting. It makes a whoosh sound. But yeah, whoosh, air quoting. Yeah. But I want to write a book and I want to write a screenplay and I want to finish this one essay, you know, and it is hard because I'm like, well, why would I, my brain is like, you know, the devil on my shoulder is like, why would you even bother when you can get that quick fix of serotonin with a stupid tweet about your dog's poop, you know? So I do use, so I dropped all of my social media except for Twitter. Um, And I kept Twitter in part because they were the first ones to censor Donald Trump to some degree. Um, um, Uh But um, I kept it also because as a journalist, to me, Twitter is the journalist's social media app. You know, it's, it's, it's the newsiest of them all. And then I, you know, as as different apps, I mean, it's different social media networks got added and, you know, I kept, Oh, well, maybe I should be on Snapchat. Maybe. And it's like, I don't want to be part of this scrum of trying to figure out which social media that I'm posting on next, you know, after that, and after that, that. but going back to the Twitter thing and it's, and it's effect that the easy joke and it's effect on deeper work and deeper creativity. I kind of think of Twitter and, and social media. It's a little bit like a tapeworm in your brain, you know, like a tapeworm, it settles mm-hmm. in your, st- in your guts. Right. And it eats a little bit of what you eat every day and basically slowly starves you to death. And I think, and I think oh what God. Twitter does is, is it take, you know, in, in, the, in the case of a comedian, it's, it's, it's taking your jokes one at a time uh, for free, by the way. And so, you know, I think yeah. I totally get it that, you know, I, I certainly made many connections through social media that have resulted in work, but you have to figure out kind of like, what's, what's a teaser, you know, what's an appetizer and what's the meal. And you have to be careful not to yes. give away the meal. Well, so here is a a funny, I think, cosmic thing that occurred. And again, I can't remember if I I mentioned this on the podcast already. I apologize. But um, I wanted to – so I I really believe in um, cleaning up my digital clutter. It's something that I've – started doing a few years ago where I would like Google myself and I'll be like, wait, why is my old address online and why is this? And I I will go – crazy like I will like email whoever I can to get it removed like there's I don't think people realize how much of their information is online and you really I think it's important to do like I I had people take down old comedy video like just things and and I know most people when I've talked to them about it a lot of people be like oh who cares 
I'm like, well, I, I do. I don't know. I just don't want anything out there that doesn't truly represent me anymore. So I decided I wanted to delete all of my tweets before 2018, just because I feel like eh, around 2018 is when I kind of got it. Like I got, <laughs> I hated to say it's good. Ugh, ugh, I'm going to vomit. And somehow I accidentally deleted everything. Like I still have my account, but all the content yeah. went away. And I, I was panicked for 20, 30 minutes. Like I, I texted friends. I was like, oh my God, okay, I'm going to tweet something. Can you retweet it? So in case the algorithm, like I, I panicked. And then I got this gorgeous sense of calm. <laughs> I felt really calm. I was like, well, no one's scrolling back and like being like, remember what Julia posted in May of 2019. And because I had saved my archive, I'm like, well, I'm just going to recycle old shit because I don't want to give things away for free. So what I'm trying to do is only post once or twice a day, if that, and, and like control myself and not give it all away. But enough where I feel like I'm giving whoever follows me the product that they're following me for. The part of why I wanted to start this podcast and really start to hold myself accountable for these other writing projects is because I'm like, all right, well, you know, whatever small notoriety that these apps have given me, I want to use them to then produce something that like might live on someone's shelf right. for years. Right. And, you know, the thing is, we, we're all desperate for deeper work. You know, you know, it's it's funny when a yeah. piece of deep work breaks through and suddenly oh, it's like, oh, my God, somebody actually put some thought into this and 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 and, and they edited themselves and they came up with something, um, something about, you know, speaking of deep work, it, I just I'll throw it out and then we can go on with the conversation. But when you said about, you know, the tweets disappearing, um, I'm a my family is all big are all big fans of the movie Blade Runner. Uh, you know, that uh, great, great movie, okay. Harrison Ford movie from, I think it's from the early 80s. But at one point, this this um, android is is dying at the end. And he's talking about all the memories he had. And he said, finally, he says, all these moments will be lost in time like tears and rain. And to me, that's, that's mm-hmm. you know, that's really the key here is that moments are are fleeting. And, you know, the invocation at the beginning of Goodbye Phone, Hello World is from Thich Nhat Hanh, where that very lovely Buddhist monk, he says, life can only be lived in the in the present moment. You know, and that's very, that's very profound when you think about it. It's like, you're here you are digging back, whoa, give me my tweets back, but th- those are gone, you know, and, and in a way, in a way, Twitter yeah. is trying to pretend as if moments aren't gone, but they are gone. And Well, and that, and, and yeah. you know, and if we can't, as human beings, you know, accept that, then we're always going to be even further yoked to the wheel of suffering um, in our lives, I think, you know, over and beyond notoriety. That well, and that's, <laughs> well, and the thing that I think what is difficult for myself, but I think for a lot of people is to do what you did. If I were to get a flip phone, like that's really brave. You know, like you're, uh, you're diff, like that's very different. That's, you know, to remove yourself from certain websites or to, to not have like seen the latest viral, like you're really sort of removing yourself from the majority of society because I don't know about you, but I get very, like, I just finished listening to the podcast rabbit hole. Did you listen to that? Okay, so Rabbit Hole is it's a New York Times podcast. It's the episodes are short. It's and it's all about basically the rise of YouTube and how it radicalized mm-hmm. people. And a lot of things stuck out and one of the things that really stuck out was how a lot of people in their, you know, over the age, you know, like 60s like older people who just got the internet for the first time, a lot of those people are the ones spending hours mm, on YouTube because it's this new thing. And a lot of them, you know, they talked to a few people and and they were saying how like, you know, oh, my dad, you know, he doesn't really have a lot of friends. And my mom is just kind of home. And I was thinking about my own mom. My mom's 78. I think we got her an iPad like five years ago or something. And she's not online that much, but she definitely like goes on YouTube to like look at old videos of Italy and listen to, you know, Luciana, Luciano Pavarotti or whatever, you know, and, and it brings her joy. But I could see 
how that could go further and further and further if she didn't have us checking in and didn't have grandkids. Cause you know, it's this, she didn't grow up with it, you know, and it's this window into this new world. And so on the podcast, they talk about how that really unfortunately radicalized a lot of people. Cause it would, the algorithm is set up in such a way that like, you know, you go on YouTube to watch a cat video and the next thing you're watching a QAnon video because you've been on because the whole app is designed yeah. to keep you on for as long as possible and it and it it like broke my heart because I'm like okay well I could get a flip phone and I guess that would help my mental sanity but almost and I don't really mean this but like what's the point if everyone else is a zombie <laughs> like that's that so I guess my question to you is how is it existing as uh, not the norm. Like, does it feel um, lonely? It does feel lonely. I mean, first of all, it's not like I gave up my computer. Um, I still have a computer. I still have True. internet. But what it does do is it breaks the hermetic seal that um, tech had on my mind from from dusk till mm. dawn and beyond. Um, when I go out and I'm off my phone, um, I, I'm alone with my thoughts again. And there is some loneliness and there is some boredom involved in all of that. But, you know, a few of the Let's, I'll just say better authors than I who've written these longer tomes, which I, again, I argue in my very short book that they're great. There's great writing on this stuff, but it's so long involved that the distracted readership out there probably is not going to find their way to reading these books. Oh, yeah. Your book is the <laughs> well, perfect length. Um, perfect, but like, yeah. you know, a guy named um, Cal Newport was saying that, you know, there's actually physiological evidence that a brain constantly stimulated by screens and input and distraction. Um, cannot go to a deeper place of creativity. And I do, th I actually think creativity comes out of boredom and comes out of, um, you know, out mm -hmm. of, out of the need to create something, right? If there's no, if you're constantly, if other people's creativity is constantly bombarding your brain, where's your part in all of this, you know? So I guess in the end, yeah. I feel that um, I've gained it. And, you know, this question as to whether, you know, the rest of the world is doing it and that there's this other conversation going on that I'm not participating in. Maybe I felt that for the first week or two. Um, but I just, I just, I feel like I talk to my friends there, there, maybe, maybe if the, everybody left, we'd become some sort of weird, you know, like maybe we all live naked in some community somewhere, but, but, but I feel like I get enough sort of you know, brush off of them that I can feel it. But, you know, I wanted to turn, return something back to what you're saying about older people and their susceptibility to YouTube. I never thought of it before. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up. I think old people are, or older people who remember the time of four channels on television um, and their news sources being reliable are particularly vulnerable because now the quality of YouTube videos can be so good that they have the outward sheen of respectability and plausibility. And people who are in their 60s or 70s or 80s who didn't see the transition, you know, didn't see the broad spectrum, uh, approach, I think, are in danger of approaching like a YouTube QAnon video thinking, well, it looks right. It looks good. Uh, it must it must be true. It's on, it's on screen. screen. Oh, you know, much better than my... Yeah. Uh, RCA Victor uh, screen back in 1951. Um, well, because I remember having to explain to my mom and, and I, I think she gets it, but you know, when I first started doing stuff online, I, I, I was trying like, even like with the podcast, I'm like, well, I have a radio show. Like, that's like the way yeah. I explain it. Or like, you know, she'll say, Oh, I you know, I saw your friend doing this on Facebook and I don't know. I don't want to discredit the person, but I don't know how to tell them that they recorded it and uploaded it yeah. themselves. They didn't like book right. a gig. And so it is interesting because it is a lot to wrap your mind around, you know? And, and I do think, I mean, when I think about the effect, I know that like white supremacy has always existed. I know that corrupt government has always existed. I know that narcissistic leaders have always existed. But when you think about how much technology made this monstrous, you know, political atmosphere that we have, that makes me want to live in that cave naked that you meant. Like I, I, it's it's gut wrenching to me what technology has done to, and also politics. it's interfered with you know the machine itself of good news. Um, you know, 
when I st- I've been working writing freelance for magazines and newspapers for close to 20 years now, and one of the most unsung victims of the digitalization of the universe um, is the fact checker. You know, used to be it, yes, I used so to be you know, fact checker, and it used to, it used to be yeah. when I wrote for a magazine and even even a daily newspaper, inevitably somebody would check my stories and what I'd said and so forth. I'd say that that happens about. 75% less than it used to. And it's that untethering from factuality um, that is really, um, it's really disturbing. And it's actually one of the reasons that um, now my personal reading habits, I try not to read news online anymore, um, often because I don't know about the fact checking responsibilities that brought it to online. So, like, my go to news uh, magazine is The New Yorker because they have a famous fact-checking department. And I know if it's in print, it's really been through the machine. And I feel that's super, super important. And also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because I've talked to a few people who are journalists in the past, they've said, you know, the pressure to turn out something fast because of the speed at which we're (laughs) receiving news also affects the fact-checking. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times something like somebody will, you know, do some you know, an article on me or, or list a show or, or one of my friends or whatever, like the name is spelled wrong. They use a photo mm. from 20 years ago. My, you know, like all this, this very simple stuff. Like I had a, I had a very silly, um, did you watch the documentary making no. a murderer? Did you see that? Okay. There's a Netflix documentary. It, the people on the, in the documentary had very silly hair, hairstyles. I made a very silly Tumblr blog about it it made me laugh i didn't mean for i I thought it was just for my husband to be honest it just made me laugh it ended up going viral which that's a whole other conversation of like there's no rhyme or reason sometimes as to why something goes viral so anyways that being said it got a bunch of press which i was like why but okay and so many publications online didn't credit me they just were like this blog is crazy and then i messaged them all and I said, hey, um, at the top of the blog is mm-hmm. my name. Can you just give me credit instead of because they would just like screenshot yeah. pieces of it and put it in the article and that's now an article. I cannot tell you there was about three quote unquote journalists who were so nasty to me. They were like, they were like, oh well you should be, you know, you should be happy that we even you know, shared it. And then this other girl, one of the girls I had to tweet at to get her to change it because I couldn't get her email because you also nobody get like yeah. a lot of, yeah. And she responded with like a mean girl's gif and was like, whatever, I'll get on it. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? All I'm asking is credited for this dumb fucking blog that I made. And it's like, I guess, you know, there's a certain level of pressure that they're under to, to churn out stories, but also like it, especially with Google and not that Google is foolproof, but like at least Google someone's how to spell their name. Like that's the thing that blows my mind. And uh, yeah, the fact checking, I don't know if people know that. I don't know if the younger generation even knows what a job of fact checker is, but it's very important. important. And, you know, getting back to this idea, I mean, they're, they're hand in hand, right? Like, so you get rid of the fact checker, you devalue the moment, the, the fact itself, and, mm-hmm. you know, you add in speed and you've got a catastrophe on your hand. It makes me think of, I don't know, you know, in, in your filmmaking stuff, have you ever come across, there's this triangle um, in film production. Um, one, one side of the triangle is fast. The other one is good. And the other one is cheap. Um, and you can only ever get two sides of the triangle. It can be fast and good, but it's not going to be cheap. You get good and fast, but it's not going to be not, <laughs> not good and fast. But it's not going to be cheap, uh, fast and good. It's not, um, you know what I'm saying? In, in, in short, yes. so I think what we're getting is um, fast and cheap and it's not good. It, it also, what also frightens me as someone with, you know, a child and I have nieces and whatnot is uh, another thing that I, I remember struck me so hard was um, when they surveyed kids a few years ago about what they want to be when they grow up and they're like astronaut doctor and they're like mm, influencer unbelievable now i mean you know and sometimes you know I, I can't remember if i quote him in goodbye phone or not but um there's a an english philosopher who said that when when people go mad they tend to go mad in crowds and come back to their senses one by one 
slowly and one by one. And, um, and I, think, I think we, maybe I'm being a little too optimistic, but I kind of think we're on the edge of one by one people coming back to their sentences. Well, you know, I agree what was you. interesting with this book um, was that because I dropped Facebook, because I dropped Instagram and wasn't very much on Twitter, um, I took an and because we're in a pandemic, I took a completely different approach to promoting this book. Um, I went through my contacts and I had about literally about 1500 contacts and um, I used it as a, a sort of digital housekeeping project as well, but I worked, fixed all the, make sure that all my contacts were right. And then I sent an individual personal email to every single person in my inbox. Um, and that's, you know, it's a good pandemic project. Like what the hell else am I going to do? And, and everyone mm-hmm. I wrote to, you know, you know, major writers and journalists and said, whoa, what a timely book. And, you know, whatever we were like, and I'm sure there's a little bit of buffing going on there, but it did that was the common thread was like, oh, my God. And it was weird. It's like, and I was like, is it a timely book? I mean, you know, one one sarcastic friend of mine said, well, shouldn't you call this book Goodbye World? Hello, phone, uh, given, <laughs> given um, what we're into. But in a way, I actually think that the pandemic pushed us a little even closer to, for some reason, I want to say this in French, c'est la limite. quoi? It's too much, you know, and we. Well, I think I think after people come out of this, I know for me, I don't want to no. look at a screen ever again. No. I want to hold people and and look into their eyes and not, you know, all the I mean, I I almost feel like we've all, you know, if if phones are yeah. cake, we've all eaten so, so many sweets yeah. this year that we all are going to want to go, you know, on an elimination totally. diet. I hope after this, the other thing in the book that I really, and I agree with you, I, I do hope there's a shift because I know a lot of people that I talk to, you know, feel this way. It's funny because a lot of my tweets used to be uh, when they existed, uh, making kind of talking about social media. Like I would, I, I made a lot of jokes and comments about like, what am I doing on here? Like, what is my brand? Who am I? You know, like sort of this bit of like I'm going through a meltdown which I kind of always am every time I am on my phone for longer than half hour I always find something to upset me it's always something I'm taking personally and I do feel like people connect to that but because it is such a mindless habit at this point it really is gonna take I don't know what it's gonna take but I I think it's you know it's okay I guess I guess I compare it to this you know sometimes someone doesn't stop eating all that bacon until they have a heart attack. I feel like the same thing is happening with technology. Like until they realize they haven't spent enough time with their child or they get into a, I don't want anyone to get into a car accident because they're texting, but whatever it is, I think it's going to take something. And maybe it's not even that big. Maybe it's simply sending an email to the wrong person or they left the stove on. Something is going to make them snap out of it. Um, the other thing, I to go back to the book that you you said in it that I really, you know, uh, you talked about going to town mm-hmm. halls as a yeah. political act. And I would love to talk to you more about that because I think right now we're so, as much as there is so much value in, you know, I sign all the petitions and I, I, I click like on all the really strong worded woke posts, but... What what really creates change is local, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, it's just been shown time and time again. This this stat came from US Perg, you know, but like you know, there's NYPERG, you know, MassPerg, all these kind of door to door kind of people. But um, what they found in in their research is that it's basically in person time with a local leader is the most persuasive thing that you can do. So you know, most local politicians, and again, it's we're in a COVIDian state, but it's not going to last forever. Um, even if they're not represented full-time in your particular district, we'll often have mobile offices. So actually physically going to a place and making yourself present, you know, you got to think about like what's valuable nowadays, right? You know, texting is cheap. Digital is cheap. In person, that's got skinny, you know? So I think, um, so I think getting off your butt and actually physically going in is going to be important. Um, you know, funnily, I, so I actually, this, this, you know, I told you I was more productive than ever without my phone. So I actually have another little book coming out in April called the climate diet. And it's just, um, 50 things that you could do to, um, 
to shrink your carbon footprint. But there's some overlap with this with goodbye phone because like you know one of the things is like local change through your physical presence, um, going to see your state politicians, and you know. Um, and, and, and also it's like, you know, here's like a really unhelpful thing about the phone, right? There's lots of people who are going to be like, Joe Biden, stop climate change. Like, that's not going to stop climate change. What's going to, what's going to stop <laughs> climate change is that like, if I get my co-op board here in New York, like my building got a D minus on its sustainability grade, but I know that we could possibly get a solar project on our roof and it was going to take some cajoling of my local guy to make this happen. But that is worth it. And in, and the amount of carbon we'll remove from the atmosphere um, or, or prevent from going into the atmosphere from that local act will be so much more significant than I sending a stupid tweet at Joe Biden telling him to stop yeah. climate change, you know? And, and not only that, because I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, I'm sure I've done this too. People do it for sure. the applause. And, and the thing that sucks about that is, I mean, I get very overwhelmed knowing how many shitty things are going on in the world. I know it's important to be aware, but there was a time where, you know, like you were talking about the, the, the four channels or whatever. I remember as a child, my parents would have the news on, you know, at the 6 p.m. news on. You would hear the, the main stories and then you would shut off the news and you would live your life. And the news was done. And if something really affected you, it was usually a kidnapping that I yeah. was a child probably, but it was, a, that was like the big story. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I know that news, you know, if it's only a half hour, it's limited. And however, I don't always know what to do to fix a small town problem in Oklahoma. You know, I don't know, like it, it's very overwhelming. It gets, it makes me so exhausted yeah, and yeah. drained to see all this stuff and read all this stuff and get heated that I'm so depleted that I do exactly. nothing. Whereas when I put away the screen and look around my community, like I, before the pandemic, I was trying to do a lot with like homelessness in LA, not a lot, but like, you know, I would do a, uh, I would volunteer to do host a potluck like once or twice a month. Is it changing the world? It, I mean, I don't know. It felt good after I felt like at least I, I, I didn't look at my phone for the two, three, four hours I was there. I looked into people's eyes. I spoke to homeless people instead of just passing them on the street. Other people got involved and I don't know. It just, it, it seems like such a common sense yeah. notion to like physically take I, action. I, I think, you small... know, it goes back to Buddhism to some degree. Um, and there is a lot of Buddhism in this book, but like there's this notion of right effort, you know, and right effort is not necessarily to promote yourself. It is to promote the end of suffering for other beings. And it has its own, it has, you know, you're not yeah. supposed to talk, you're never supposed to talk about rewards in Buddhism, but there is a kind of reward and all that. You know, for some reason, this is reminding me of a conversation I once had with my ophthalmologist. <laughs> so so <laughs> to this day, I don't wear glasses. And um, when my vision started to kind of get a little blurry, I was in his office and he was going through to various tests. And I go, well, so what do you think, Dr. Lieberman? Do I need glasses? And he goes, well, let's see. He takes that, you know, that big thing that you look through, you know, and they can drop lenses. Yeah. And so he points it out the window and he points it at a sign. He goes, what does that say? And I said, um, no parking. And he's like, okay. Now, and then he drops the lenses and he goes, now what's it say now? I said, oh, no parking Tuesday, 9.30 to 11. He goes, do you need to know that? <laughs> I mean, did I? I don't know. And I mean, and I think that yeah. there's a lot of, you know, if anything that I would like people to walk away with, with Goodbye Phone is like, did you need to know that? Did you really need to do that? And I would say nine times yeah. out of 10, you really didn't need to know that. And who's, you know, like to quote the big Lebowski, who who benefits, man? And what who benefits is what yeah. who really benefits are the large tech tech companies that have held your attention and be a, been able to bundle that attention and sell it to an advertiser. Yep. I don't want to see the brunch I was yeah. invited to. <laughs> it hurts. I'm not going to lie. You don't think that I'm looking around that table being like, oh, what? You think you're too good? <laughs> um, with something something in the book that I've started doing too that I love is um, I've been writing down my dreams. Oh, nice. Yes. That was one of the... The nights. We'll talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So what what is what is the thought behind yeah, that? Yeah. Well, I mean, 
when you are emerging from sleep into the waking part of your day, it's a very tender moment. And it's, I think, really puts you in touch with, you know, what Jung thought of was this collective sub- collective unconscious. And, um, you know, you're a creator, you're, and I think many people could be creators if they were more in touch with their subconscious, because the most interesting things happen in your mind, the most nonlinear, like, you know, don't you always feel that you're sort of a product of whatever television you were watching when you were, let's say, 11? You know what I mean? Like, you, uh, yes. And you, you try to think of, like, things that are outside the box. Like, you know, somebody like Charlie Kaufman, right? Like, his movies are just, to me, so out of the box, and I just love them. And clearly, they are coming from some sort of dream space, you know? And I think that if you really want to think out of the box, and you really want to think about be in touch with the numinous, you know, the cloud of of psychic energy that surrounds us, the dreams really work. And so there are different ways to do this. Not the iCloud. Not the iCloud. The <laughs> the U cloud. The U the yes. V cloud. Um what is it? The numinous? What did the, you the call numinous, it? The numinous. The numinous. You know, and um okay. you know it's it's this I think a Jungian notion that there is this you know, sometimes it's called the overmind. It's different ways of uh, relating to the idea that we didn't come from nothing, but we're we partake in some sort of giant energy of psychology that's going out there. And, you know, anyway, many different ways to approach dream journaling. Um, Some people suggest dividing a page into images and words. That's one way to do it. But I think the most important thing is that you, you know, do what you've been doing, which is not going to your phone first thing, but start, go right to your dream journal. And then what I've been doing sometimes on my best days is I go start with my dream journal, and then I transition into doing some fiction writing. Again, in longhand, if possible. And that's actually been yeah. really fun, too, is writing writing in longhand and not writing on a computer because, you know, you write on a computer, you're constantly going back and editing yourself. And I think to some degree diffusing the, the, the energy that you have behind your prose and your thinking. Well, what's happened for me, well, two, one, first of the dream journal is um, I – most of my dreams, I don't know if they've been vivid lately because I do, I have a lot of disrupted sleep with a baby. So I, I kind of go in and out a lot and I don't know if I'm controlling them, but a lot of my dreams, I'm sure they're pandemic related or I'm trapped in a crowd <laughs> and I need to get out, but I also want to stay. Interesting. Um, but with the, with the writing on a computer, you know, I am, as I try to reduce looking at my phone because I I love writing. I hate typing. Mm, interesting. I hate it. It's laborious. It's I, I get overwhelmed. Like I if if I could have a little creature go in my brain and type it, mm. like when I go on walks, you know, I'll I'll eat an edible and I'll I'll go on a long walk <laughs> and I in my brain, I probably should start doing a dictation, but I I feel like I could dictate so many pros and it, and I feel connected to it and I'm outside and, you know, I'm sure the weed helps, but like just being away from sitting down and being like, now you must type. Yeah. I, when I drive, I constantly feel that same creative thing. My husband has it a lot in the shower. That's where he <laughs> tends to have all creativity. So it's always when I'm washing dishes, it's always when I'm doing something that kind of has like a rhythmic mm. or a, a, I don't want to say driving is mindless because that sounds terrifying, but you know, it's just foot on the gas, whatever. And so what I find is that sometimes when I sit down at the screen, I, I like my anxiety starts coming up and I think you're right. It's because I can edit. I can, I'm spell checking. I'm like, Oh, well, you know, let me, okay. I'm typing, but let me also make a second doc of like ideas. And then I should put these in folders. And then I start organizing the screen and then I'm like, well, let me just see how that tweet's doing. And then before I know it, hours have gone by. And so I am curious to know if like, if I were to even reduce my screen time even more, if I would enjoy typing again, because I I have to type it. Like I I can't send a handwritten book proposal to somebody. Although I remember once um, uh, I went to uh, early in my journalism career, I went to a forum that um, David Halberstam was doing, you know, he wrote the best and the brightest. He was considered like a big journalist in the 60s and 70s. And I had this issue where I was doing all these recordings of people that i was interviewing and then I had to deal with them. And I said, Mr. Halbishan, how do you deal with all that audio recording? How do you get that typed up? And he goes, well, I just give it to my girl. <laughs> oh man. I'll give it to my daughter. As soon as I'll be like, this, Type is, this, up, you, honey. this is your chore. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, but um, I do think, um, you know, well, you know, what's actually been helpful for me in writing is um, uh, Paris review does a series of um, interviews uh, called Writers at Work, 
and it um, mm. talks about just, and it's just very in, in-depth interviews with writers where interestingly, the writers get to actually edit the interviews before they go to press. Oh. So it's meant to be as much of a realistic picture of their, of their minds. And, um, and it's, I've found over the years, listening to different people's methodologies on that has been good. I particularly like um, Isaac Mischewa Singer, the way he would write. A lot of people were always dropping in on Ivy Singer. They were just like, oh, hi, how are you doing? And he just always, he just sat in a big chair with a glass of tea and, and a notebook. And people would come in and out. He just jotted things down all day long. That's how he wrote. I mean, I, I love, I also love that you said you, cause you listened to the interviews. So that's why I, again, wanted to do this podcast is because I have enjoyed listening to, to reporting, news reporting on, you know, I listen to NPR and I, I listen to these investigative podcasts and I love stuff about scammers. That's my favorite kind <laughs> of podcast. I'm just fascinated. And I'm so grateful for that, even though, like you said, did I need to know that? Like there's too many. No one. I didn't need to start this podcast. There's plenty. <laughs> you know. Hopefully, it'll stand out. But I'm so grateful to have that audio um, information because I I can't read articles online. Like I just I just resubscribe to the New Yorker and Bust magazine yeah. because I want those physical magazines yeah. again. I try to read the newspaper occasionally. I'll, I would prefer to watch TV news, even though, and I try to do the local. Yeah news and like the NBC nightly news. Cause I get so overwhelmed by the CNN with the scrolling on the bottom and the arguing and stuff. Like I, 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 when I see people with Kindles, I don't judge, but to me, I'm like, Oh my God, to me, screens equal work. Yeah. And reading for me is supposed to be, you know, an enjoyable thing. And, you know, to, this brings it back to what we were talking about at the beginning about like generations and their different uh, approaches to media. What's interesting is that, um, when I do college lectures, um, I often ask students, like, what do you prefer to read on a Kindle or a physical book? 80% of students would prefer to read a physical book precisely because of oh, that, wow. because they, they find it a relief to not be. And to go back to tie it together also with your podcast thing, like, I have no problem with podcasts. I have no problem with even television news. The point is um, to find a way of spending our time where we're not constantly interrupted where we're yes. allowing ourselves to have deep thought and deep concentration. And so sometimes you need to unbundle in order to do this. Maybe you need to have a podcast player or something, you know, that's separate from your phone. I don't know, however you want to do it. But the point is to be conscious of interruption. The thing to avoid is the way that tech wants to seamlessly slide you in and out and back and forth from one thing to another, to one advertising venue to another. Um, the point is to try and find an ability to focus and to have deeper thought and to be more in touch with, yeah. you know, really what is deeply important, I think, to the, our psychological health and to our creativity. Yeah, because it's wild. I've really been catching myself. I, I I feel like my texting is also has definitely increased in the pandemic. And yeah. that doesn't bother me too much because I'm on a lot of like, you know, group texts with friends and family. And a lot of it is me sharing pictures of my daughter because I don't put her online and, you know, it, it's that's actually not bothered me as much. But what I've been trying to do, which has been a nice practice, is not feel like I have to immediately respond. You know, with email and text, that's something that for years I think I was really a slave to immediately responding yeah. because it's right there and I want to get it out of the way or I want to keep the conversation going or whatever. And I don't want to be it has to be important for me to be interrupted. If I'm eating or watching a movie or talking to somebody, it, it's the amount of times we go, oh, sorry, I just have to answer this text real yeah. quick. And it's like, you actually don't have no. to answer that text yeah. real quick. And I actually, you know, I mentioned that um, since I quit my phone, I've been making more money. I think it's in part because my answers to, pe to queries, whether they be email or text, are much more thought through. And I don't, yeah. I don't talk through my ass. A lot of times I actually think about these things and there's value in that. And people appreciate that. And they notice, they notice when you're thoughtfully paying attention. Um, I love that. And I agree. Uh, one there, I know we should probably wrap it yeah. up, but um, there's so many things in the book. I mean, people should just get the book. Goodbye phone. Hello world. I, it's, 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 you can fit your phone. It's got a little cutout to put your phone in yes. it. It really, it's one of those, like it took me three days of reading it for like maybe 45 minutes a day. I don't know with a baby crying. Um, uh, you, I believe in the book, right. That you said about the um, meditation apps. Yeah. 
Okay. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Because I know so many people who swear by them and I've never liked them. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just feel like meditation has been around for thousands of years without, without an app. <laughs> You know, 3,000 years of meditation can't be wrong. Um, and again, you go back to what's motivating the reason that this app exists. Is it so that somebody can help you achieve enlightenment? Or is it so that people can, you know, monitor you and to root you into something else after you're done meditating? Um, the biggest, to my mind, problem with meditation apps is that when the meditation's over, you get a little ding or whatever from your meditation. And, and then your phone is literally in your hand. And so, you know, and meditation is oppressive. It's hard. It's difficult. But, you know, to be that close to the thing that's then going to distract you and keep you, I mean, the ultimate goal of meditation is to, I think, have the mindfulness that you work very hard at achieving in meditation. You want to have that bleed into the rest of your day. But when it is, it hits the wall of the phone right after the meditation app dings you, then, you know, it's like a hard barrier between um, mindfulness in the rest of the day. Yeah. I used to, I I never used meditation apps, but I used to just have the timer going. I didn't let it ding. I just was always curious to see how long I had meditated. And then I stopped because I was like, who cares? Like, it's kind of like the going for a walk. Like I don't care how many steps I did. I don't really personally, if I meditated for five minutes or 20 minutes, that doesn't really, cause I can meditate for 20 minutes and it doesn't get deep at all. Because my brain is, yeah, yeah. you know, I looked at the clock. I'm like, oh, look at you. You did 12. Keep going. You know, and it's like, that's not the point. Yeah. It's not a competition. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, if you are hemmed in by time, one thing I've actually found useful is um, a stick of incense burns for about 30 minutes. And um, that is an interesting yes. way to measure time. And if 30 minutes is too long, you could cut your incense stick in half and then it's 15 minutes. And that's sort of nice. Or, yeah. Or um, sometimes I'll meditate to music. Yeah. So, you know, like chant, like Kundalini chants or just soft, if, if there's like a classical music, something relaxing, if you know the track is 15 minutes, yep. Yep. you meditate for the length of that. Yep. Um, and one last thing before we go, yeah. just, oh my God, I could, I could honestly talk about this for hours because I, I feel, I loved the book and I also just feel so strongly that like, this is such an issue that we have to address yeah. because the future frightens me. Um, You know, really what it comes down to, to sort of and the pod is like, I guess whatever you can do to be on your phone less, whatever things you can sort of take off of there and put them into real life. Yeah. I mean, you know, keep in mind that we, um, there's three to 400,000 years of evolution as a species that preceded any kind of screen. And so the bulk of our kind of evolutionary adaptation occurred in an environment that is not today's environment. And while we may be, in, a, in an evolutionary moment and we're transforming into some sort of singularity where computers and humans are sort of cohabitants in the same space. Um, I believe that our intrinsic happiness lies in human personal connection yeah. and the way things are set up right now, I think it is downplaying that three to 400,000 years of evolution that makes us happy. And um, I would bet that if you took the emotional temperature of pre-phone and post-phone, you would find generally a lower level of happiness <laughs> since the phone came along. I, I agree. Um, last question I ask every guest, yeah. um, should I get bangs? <laughs> well, you know, the unfortunately, your listening audience doesn't have the pleasure of seeing this very interesting setup you've got with your, um, your headphone cans and then this sort of... Um, tied up thing you've got above you. Oh yeah, kerchief. Ker- it's covering my It's grace. really good. So I so I I mean it's I like this look. It's pretty good. Um <laughs> but you know bangs are practical and if it helps you, you know, this this whole show is about seeing more clearly. So if it helps you see more clearly then go for the bangs. Well unless they cover your eyes. <laughs> oh well then, you, know, you know listen so you know it's been a few years since you and I saw each other and a solar panel has opened up on the back of my head. Um, so that's good for the environment. That's totally good. Totally good. A Russian uh, friend of mine was married to a Russian woman. Um, once, any, when I would tease him about his uh, bald patch, his wife, his Russian wife, would say, "No, that is the solar panel for his sex machine." <laughs> so anyway, I if anyone is listening to this that's balding, just call it. Yes. Call it solar that panel solar for your panel. sex machine, man. 
I love it. Um, Paul, thank you so much. If anyone wants to, so what, will, any, you know, obviously promoting the book, yeah. anything else? Uh, you, you know, can they share? can go to goodbyephone.com and um, that will have the links to all the different retailers, including Amazon. Although I try to drive people towards indie bookstores, um, bookseller, uh, bookstore bookstore.org, indiebound.org, great places to get the book, but I'm not, um, okay. I'm agnostic as to where you get it. So goodbyephone.com, yes? Goodbyephone.com. Thank you so much, Paul. This was such a pleasure. Thank you, Julia. It's a pleasure catching up. Paul offered so much great insight and inspiration that I'm not going to add anything else to the mix. I feel like that was a lot to digest. Um, so I'm just going to leave you with, you know, strongly recommending you read his book, Goodbye Phone, Hello World. Uh, and also to remind you that my sister and I are going to be doing a special episode where we answer questions, uh, letters from our listeners. So if you have a breakdown or breakthrough that you want to share with us, maybe a choice you need to make, maybe some advice that you're seeking, whatever it is, email should I get bangs pod at gmail and take advantage of the fact that my sister is a licensed therapist and she can, you know, share some good stuff. Um, and we'll keep your name anonymous. We won't say it on air. So please email us. Should I get bangspod at gmail? And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to pods. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week.